THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 554 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, Nerds. My name is Matt Baum. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. In this episode, we're pointing our review spotlight at Superman number 18 and The Dark Knight Returns, The Golden Child number one. After we've burned our bridges with those creative teams, we'll review eight more of Wednesday, December 11th's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. After that, it is up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're rapping about our must-read picks for next week. And finally, I will be sitting down for an interview with Matthew Rosenberg. Maybe you've heard of him. That guy? He's my new best friend. And we're going to talk about his upcoming Hawkeye book. Joe was not invited because of all the disparaging things he said about Rosenberg on the show. That guy owes me money. He really likes me. But before I start threatening Matt's friends and family until he agrees to bring Clint's classic purple costume and mask back... We better talk about this week's. That's yeah. That that's, fucked you right up, didn't it? That's my job. <laughs> we'll see if that even picks up. <laughs> Throwing you off your game. Yeah, you are. Marvel's teen heroes will face a whole new, but eh, not exactly unique, challenge when they are outlawed by the government following oh, a tragic sh- event oh, next shit. year. Uh, if that sounds familiar, that is almost exactly the plot of the original Civil War. The story kicks off this March in a one-shot titled Outlawed, uh, which may or may not have a connection to the upcoming incoming one-shot, uh, written by Eve L. Ewing with art by Kim Yacinto, colorist Espen Grunditjern, wow, <laughs> and letterer Clayton Cowles. So why do we think it may or may not be connected? Uh, the, the news story is saying it might get a lead in, in the incoming, uh, one shot. Oh, the, I wonder if they don't know yet. Well, I'm sure they must know. <laughs> Someone should tell Marvel. Right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of quotes here and I am going to, normally we don't read them, but I'm going to read some because I want them to explain to me how this is not just civil war three and why we need to do it. Yeah. Right. Uh, here's a quote from Eve Ewing, uh, to the AV club. To me, this story isn't just about young people being in conflict with the government, but much bigger questions about what we ask of young people, how they're expected to be independent sometimes and subservient other times. That's a fair point. Yeah, all right. I mean, okay. Uh, Every era of history brings new challenges and young people today are coming of age, yet we often don't recognize their wisdom and insights. It's like we get above a certain age and lose all empathy. Yada, yada, yada. Why are we doing this? Just let me read. I just wanted to explore that tension and them being superheroes really ups the stakes because they're literally out there saving lives every day, but aren't seen as full people or full citizens. Why? What, what does that mean? Because they're kids. Because they're kids. And the oh, adults look fu- down on them because they're kids. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. I mean, they're full people, but like, I guess, yeah, you're not. But a, they're not adults, system. right? They're like, they don't, right. they don't get a say. Yeah. Uh, okay. And she goes on to say that the original Civil War was meant to be, uh, among other things, about. Uh, curtailing personal civil liberties in the name of safety. Uh, This is more about 
social anxieties and the role of youth in society, whether they should have part in activism, how much their voices should be valued, et cetera, et cetera. So I assume something's going to happen. A young hero is going to get either severely injured or killed. And the government's going to go, we can't have all these kids running around in super costumes. Well, it's illegal. Uh, according to the, uh, basing it off the preview art, it looks like one of them might get eaten by a dragon. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> there is a giant fiery dragon. <laughs> so now you've got to be 18 to smoke, to vote, to join the military, buy nudie mags, and be a superhero. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I think that they, uh, I think that they are taking a, a different stance than civil war yeah um, this doesn't sound like the same this sounds to me like something that probably would very much happen in the marvel universe if it like the second a kid gets hurt yeah and like the parents come out and they're like look i didn't even know my kid was a superhero and right, people are like right, you're a yeah. bad parent and we got to protect our children from being superheroes like this yeah i can see this for sure absolutely yeah and you know it's more about that generational clash than you know hey tony stark wants to take away your right to have a secret identity right right uh, and Eve Ewing is a talented writer. Her, uh, Ironheart ended, uh, this month. It was month. great. Ironheart was really good. Uh, and so she's getting a, a, a shot at a big event. I think it's great. I love Kim Yacinto. I'm giving this a chance. Yeah. This sounds a little more like I liked, I did like civil war and there were some good tie-ins. I didn't like everything that happened afterwards and kept happening and happening and happening and happening. Right. But the whole idea behind Civil War was a little silly, where they're just like, hey, I mean, what's the big deal? Just come out and register your secret <laughs> identity. Sure, the government right. will protect it. It'll be fine, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, we learned what happens with that in the pages of Identity Disc. Remember? Identity Disc. Woo! That blew the roof <laughs> off in the Marvel Universe. Uh, and I, I do feel like this also is kind of a logical extension of the themes that have been explored in the champions book. If you haven't been yeah. reading that, uh, because they've dealt a lot with like responsibility and like, Oh, uh, you know, miles made miles Morales made a decision that cost a young girl her life and yeah. the ramifications of that. Champions, and, by the way, is really good. If you're yeah, not reading it, absolutely. It is a great friggin' book. Uh, that book is I, um, also canceled. <laughs> th yeah. Which is too bad. Yeah. I, I think I'm like, five or six issues behind i need to catch up but yeah. it is a great read i quite enjoy no, i think it, yeah. this is cool and i think this is could also stoke some interest in the younger marvel universe and i think it's cool to set them apart like this a little bit if you make them like true outlaws there's going to be heroes that are like screw it man i'm into it i think you're doing a great job and there's gonna be other heroes that are like you should not be doing this this is against the law right yeah and it makes that whole younger generation a lot more interesting than oh they're just like kid heroes Look at the kid heroes. It adds a layer of depth. Yeah, absolutely. I think this could be cool. Yeah, we'll see how it goes starting in March. Joe, enough of this comic book bullshit. Ugh. Can we talk about some movie trailers, please? Yes, please. We got three. Our first trailers for Wonder Woman 1984, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and DC's Stargirl TV show this week. Wonder Woman 1984 reunites director Patty Jenkins with stars Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, he ain't dead, along with Kristen Wiig as Barbara Minerva Cheetah, and Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian himself, as Maxwell Lord. <laughs> Joe Patrick, how do you feel? I feel very good about it. That trailer was um, excellent. 
It had everything I needed to have. It's like this post disco electro 1984. The soundtrack is New Order's Blue Monday with like orchestral hits remixed or something with like orchestral flourishes that are fantastic. And the way it's tied to the action, the way like the drum beats are tied to the action. Goddamn. The the costumes look great. It looks like they are shying away from the big CG monster fight that everybody kind of had a problem with in the end of the last movie. We see Wonder Woman in several different very action figure friendly costumes including the gold costume with the wings, which is like straight out of uh, kingdom come kingdom come, which is one of my favorite wonder woman looks. This looks fantastic. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I am. I am super pumped for it. She's like swinging by her lasso on lightning bolts. Yes. (laughs) What in the hell? (laughs) Uh, And we like, we don't know. We don't know how Chris Pine is there that we don't like he died but we don't know yeah. how he's there uh she the, doesn't either because when he shows up she's like steve like she's totally <laughs> shot so something's going on there i don't know what it is uh we also don't know exactly what maxwell lord is doing but he's doing something naughty we know that yeah uh in the character poster chris pine has a fabulous fanny pack and I'm oh, yeah. all about it <laughs> he's also got he's also got feathered hair oh uh, yeah of course <laughs> he looks great uh, Let's talk about Ghostbusters. Okay. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yes. So this is a direct sequel to the original two films from the 80s, uh, directed by Jason Reitman, who is the son of Ivan Reitman, the original director. It stars... Uh, also a very talented director, by the way. Sure. Uh, it stars uh, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things as like the lead Whose kid. Whose name is way too tough Finn for Wolfhard. that kid. Yeah, way too tough for that kid. Like, I would buy, like, that's the Witcher's real name, you know? (laughs) Uh, Paul Rudd is in it. Uh, Everybody loves Paul Rudd. You don't love Paul Rudd? You're a jerk. Get the hell out of here. Right. Uh, It was odd, right? The tone was real different. Very different. We know that the three of the Ghostbusters, obviously not Egon, R.I.P., are going to be in the movie, but they are not in this first trailer, and I am going to call my shot and say, because the movie is called Ghostbusters Afterlife, the original Ghostbusters are dead, and we are going to see them as ghosts. I don't think that's true. I don't think we're... Nerd bet, nerd bet, nerd bet. Yes, nerd bet, yes, fine. Nerd bet on, there it is. Uh, I do not think, (laughs) like, listen, that's not to say that I don't think that at least one of the Ghostbusters is dead. It's very clear in this trailer that this little girl is the granddaughter of Egon, who is dead. Right, right. Uh, which, and again, the timing of this is weird to me because they're talking about the Ghostbusters. It was 30 years ago. Right. And they say there hasn't been a ghost sighting like on the planet. Right. Like for 35 years. So like Ghostbusters 2 came out in what, like 1989? I would guess. Uh, so yeah, 30 if years. If only there was a way we could find out. Yeah, 30 years. And uh, Egon had no kids. <laughs> and so now we're supposed to believe that he not only has a daughter, but she has grown old enough to have a preteen granddaughter? Yeah, I mean, that's in 30 years? Sure. I guess. Uh, yeah. You don't, Why not? Don't, 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 don't watch that trailer and tell me Carrie Coon is only 30 years old. I'm saying if she has a kid, if she, okay, he has a kid, she, 20 years later, that, or 22, or 25 years later, she has a kid, then she could totally have a preteen 11 or 12-year-old. 
that math adds up. I get it. It just doesn't seem to fit. But it looks great. It looks like a totally different take, yeah. which is fine. Yes. Because we already had another Ghostbusters movie with a female cast and certain which I shitheads. I thought it was fine. I, I didn't have a problem. Like, I didn't think it was bad. I just didn't think it was as funny as I hoped it would be. That was my yeah, only problem fair. with it. Um, yeah. The, the one thing, uh, and, and people that are involved uh, are saying, like, this first trailer is not indicative of the full movie. That's fine. There's a and lot that they're leaving out. And that's exactly what we've gotten with Avengers trailers, sure. and Star Wars trailers and whatnot. I, I so. think to me, the most notable thing about this trailer is that uh, they're nowhere near New York City. And New York City is a huge, important character in the Ghostbusters movies. True. Um, I do like that the tone is so different in what we're seeing here. And they're not just saying, all right, the female one didn't happen. Sorry, we're wiping it clean. Do it again with the dudes. You know, I, I like that a lot. I'm excited. I like Ghostbusters is one of my top five favorite movies of all time. So absolutely. I'm and totally I trust Reitman as a director. He, Jason Reitman is fantastic. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Finally, Stargirl sees writer producer, Jeff Johns. Joe Patrick just gave us proof of life of Jeff Johns the other day. He was smiling, although he wasn't holding up a newspaper with a date. So I'm not totally. I mean, it might it. not be exactly current. No, it's his most personal creation realized on the small screen, starring Breck Basinger as the title character, Courtney Whitmore, Luke Wilson as Pat Stripesy Dugan, and more. Joe Patrick. It's Luke Wilson, right? Yeah. Owen Wilson's the other one. Yeah. yeah what yeah. did you think of this Stargirl trailer? Look, I thought it looked good. It leaned Go. way more into the Starman mythos than I thought it was. I thought it was going to totally ignore everything Starman. It did. But let's just talk about the Starman that we do see in this trailer. Yeah, that it's okay. How did what? What do you think? <laughs> I, I want your opinion on this. What, uh, what did you think? How I did think it make you feel. I think that if you had read uh, the DC comics uh, that that character appeared in in the 1980s, you would realize that that is a 100 percent almost screen accurate representation of Sylvester Pemberton. The okay, original Star Spangled Kid, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. Skyman. In his later years, he became Skyman. Uh, right. So I think that I read this, and we may have even talked about it on the show, but I think that the continuity of the show is kind of sidestepping the whole Ted Knight, Jack Knight familial connection. Yeah, I that's think, not going to be there at all. I think that they're saying this, this character, this Joel McHale character is, is Starman. Which How does is that make fine. You feel? You're okay with it? Be honest. Yeah, I'm fine with it because I understand the fact that everything I love about Starman is built on literally decades and decades and decades of material. Okay, that's fine. And they're not; say, ju they just can't get to it in a show like that. Sure, and I'll give you that. And I didn't expect that. That's not what I expected at all. My problem with the trailer is I thought this looks like more of the same. It looks kind of more paint by numbers to me. Very typical CW star girl. And I thought the effects didn't look great. <laughs> they look kind of I mean, fun. I honestly have bad. no idea what your problem would be. It looks I just as good I, I just, as any of their other TV shows. I suppose I just, there was nothing in this that really grabbed me and, and made me go, Holy shit. I want to watch this. <laughs> like that's, that's what got me it, that scene. That's what got me. I went, oh, it, right, grabbed, we'll it grabbed me as a fan of the 
uh, of the material that inspired it. Um, like, again, like I really thought that they were just going to ignore a lot of that lore and they didn't like, well, I think if they're not going to touch the on Justice like the Society, Ted Knight stuff, if they're not going to touch on the Ted Knight stuff and they're not going to touch on the other stuff, then they have to do something. Yeah. Right. They talked about the Justice Society. Uh, yeah. Luke Wilson, they f- they flat out say it. His name was Stripesy. <laughs> yeah. No, and I thought that was ballsy. I yeah. like it. Uh, and like they're really leaning into it. And other than slightly tweaking the timeline, it's the story of Stargirl that I remember from the comics. Fair enough. I never really cared about the Stargirl character. She just never did much for me. And I was a bigger fan of the other mythos. I, but I don't know. This I feel like this looks like it could be good or fine. <laughs> that's where I'm at. It basically. could be good or fine. Matt Bond. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's your pull quote. I, I'm sorry. I just wasn't real excited. I understand. All. I mean, if you weren't a fan of the character to begin with, I get it. Whatever. I, I think it looks good. So this good. is going to. This is going to air on the DC app, and then the next day it's going to air on the CW. Yes, it's going to be a split. Uh, it'll it'll air in both places, so you don't have to have DC Universe to see it. Uh, Do we know why it was pushed back twice? I don't. Yeah, seems uh, weird. Because Jeff Johns was dead, I assume. It furthers our Jeff Johns conspiracy. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. What. It's a real Paul McCartney situation. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I just. And I don't love the whole CW live action TV verse as much as you do. Yeah. I have not started the crisis stuff. I've yeah. Heard it's and I'm all in on it. I'm sure we'll talk about it this weekend and I'm going <laughs> to try and, and binge as much of it as I can. So we'll get there. Just watch the first three parts of crisis. You don't okay. need to get caught up. I never thought there'd be another star, man. Star girl. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while binge-watching the impeachment hearings, so hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section. Or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11 a.m. to noon Central Standard Time. It's more fun than watching the GOP's defense and you (laughs) control the content. This week, we're talking about the three things that make or break a great comic book character. Huh? So call us. What, are they spe- what were they specifically? It was like a name. A name, a costume, and powers. So call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. And if you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. It is Spotlight Review Time in Ziggurat, where this week I am trying to decipher Frank Miller's latest drunken scribbles, and Joe Patrick is crying about Superman. Joey, why don't you get us started? Oh, man, I, and I did. I'm reviewing Superman number 18 from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by Ivan Rice. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. With Superman's family scattered across the galaxy, our hero must confront some of his greatest concerns about himself and his place in the galaxy. Hemorrhoids. It's, it's even a problem for Superman. They use the word galaxy twice in the same sentence, and that really bothers me. It's finally here. After doing some soul searching with Adam Strange, Superman is ready to reveal his secret identity to the world. We knew the story was coming, but Brian Michael Bendis still manages to deliver several surprises this issue. What impressed me most is that despite the doubt and uncertainty plaguing the Man of Steel, I never once felt like Superman was out of character. 
like Bendis was writing to suit the plot and not the character like we've discussed in the past. Yeah, definitely. This felt like the Superman that I've grown to love over the last 30 plus years entering the next chapter of his life. I was legitimately moved more than once during this issue as Clark shared his story with the planet that has meant so much to him. Ivan Rice with inks by Joe Prado and colors by Alex Sinclair delivers on some truly impactful moments. You can feel the emotion coming through in every scene from the silent moment of revelation between Clark and Perry White, which no joke had me bawling like a damn baby. <laughs> you are. A damn Look, baby. I turned Flip the page and I saw what was happening <laughs> and I went, Oh, and I wept. It was, it was I precious. Fucking it wept. was absolutely precious. I will say that to the various reactions during the big press conference, little moments stand out like how some heroes are cheering for their friend. Well, some are more concerned. There's like a scene with the Justice League and everyone's like high five and they're like, yeah, Superman. And Wonder Woman's got her arms crossed with her head down. Like, I don't think she's happy about this. Well, yeah. I mean, for good reason. We'll see. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rice masterfully channels the feeling needed in each scene from Adam Strange's incredulous reaction to Clark's disappointment that Lois told Jimmy first to the final two pages <laughs> with the Legion of Doom channeling Neil Adams at his peak. Brian Michael Bendis has his critics. I've been one of them, but his handling of Superman since his move to DC has been nothing short of brilliant, in my opinion. Huge status quo altering changes may be occurring, but it all feels like it's in service to the character and not in spite of him. Superman 18 was a complete joy to read. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm not going to say I cried like a baby, but I definitely you can admit it, man. Like this is a safe I was space. taken aback at a couple of different panels in this book, and it was this was just so well done. And there's so many times where we have stunts in comics and this did not feel like a stunt. Right. It just didn't. It felt like Superman growing and it yeah. felt like the kind of shit that we yell at Marvel for not letting Spider-Man do. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. And this was handled with so much respect and you could tell Bendis just went back and studied everything that he loved about not just like Superman in the comics, but like Superman in movies as well, because there was some true, like somebody the other night tweeted out uh, that scene where Christopher Reeves is about to tell Lois Lane yes. that he is Superman and he takes his glasses off and he stands up straight and like, and he's just wearing like a, you know, a shirt and tie but he stands up straight and all of a sudden he is fucking super right. And like in that moment, that is this fundamental understanding of the character that Bendis absolutely has established. He has, and this book was incredible. <laughs> it really was incredible. And to do it this well and pull it off like this, I think there are maybe two or three writers on the planet that could have done it and done it this good. I'm giving it a huge bite. Speaking of incredible, but in a different way. <laughs> Whew, yes. <laughs> I am reviewing The Dark Knight Returns, colon, The Golden Child, number one from DC Black Label. My first question, before we get into it, is this a one-shot? Yes. Okay, <laughs> because at the end, I did not know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is a one-shot, yeah. This is written by Frank Miller with art by Raphael Grandpa. It is 48 pages for $5.99. Here is your solicit. 
Frank Miller returns to the Dark Knight universe. It's been three years since the events of Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, a book that I don't think anyone read. Lara has spent the time learning to be more human, and Carrie Kelly has been growing into her new role as Batwoman. But a terrifying evil has returned to Gotham City, and Lara and Carrie must team up to stop this growing threat, and they have a secret weapon. Young Jonathan Kent. The Golden Child. He has a power inside of him unlike anything the world has ever seen, and it's about to be unleashed. Dark Knight Returns. The Golden Child is Frank Miller's triumph. Okay, I'm not reading Yeah, I don't think you need to read that. All right, all right, all right. The solicit is not kidding, though. In the very end, it says, it's a story like nothing you've ever seen before. And this is truly unlike anything I've seen before. Outside of several episodes of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Let's start with the art here. Raphael Grandpa is just a talent worthy of legendary status. There is no question. It has been way too long since we've seen his work. And this comic book looks absolutely amazing. Grandpa has a chunky animated style unlike anyone else working today. And he is just showing off here with panels of mass destruction, mobs attacking mobs. There is so much depth and detail to his work that it literally saves the book from a plot so bizarre that I'm not even sure where to start. This story takes place after the events of the Master Race, which I never finished, but I didn't feel lost at all. The three stars of the book are dealing with the Joker and Darkseid who've teamed up to fix an election so a cartoon version of Donald Trump can take over America and sow chaos. Sounds good so far, yep. Not only a little heavy-handed, but also weird. As I understand it, these stories are taking place in the future, but I suppose it could be modern day in the DKR universe. Honestly, I'm not sure. But the choice to include Trump's likeness was a well, weird one. Remember and that in the events of the original Dark Knight Returns, it was in the future and Ronald Reagan was still president. Right. Because they so, like abolished term limits and shit. I guess so. Why does Darkseid care about an election and need to employ a group of Jokerized <laughs> internet trolls? Yeah, right. Yeah. When the plan is foiled by the new Batwoman and Super Wonder Woman and Golden Kent, Darkseid immediately goes back to being Darkseid and leveling cities and mountains with his seemingly limitless abilities, which reinforces my wondering why a god needs to tamper with an election. (laughs) I get that Miller is mad at what he sees in American politics of late, but he really crushed the issue into what was otherwise a giant Dragon Ball Z battle between Darkseid and Super Wonder Woman, and then another Dragon Ball Z boss battle between Golden Kent and Darkseid. The narration and dialogue matched the level of mass destruction perfectly, with Darkseid going on long, protracted, angry god rants with dialogue like, You would battle Darkseid! You, Darkseid, is a tiger force that powers all the universe! As you are part of Darkseid, you are the use to the universe. All that is not wretched resistance! Or sorry, surplusage! Uh, All I could hear was Daffy Duck the whole time. The rants were so ridiculous! Hold on. Uh, I am the revelation... The tiger force at the core of all things. Even you cry out in your dreams. It is dark side that you see. That is a quote 
from Jack Kirby. I'm not saying it's not. That's from Jack I'm Kirby. I'm not saying it's That's not. That's a thing. This this is how Darkseid talks. Yeah. And I get it. What I'm saying is there was pages. It's a and lot. Yeah. Pages of this stuff. While Darkseid is destroying things, dying, being reborn, destroying stars, and then coming to destroy the Earth. But first destroying Gotham and other parts of the Earth off panel all at the same time. <laughs> The story blurs into pure absurdist Frank Miller madness very quickly, and it never comes out the other side. I'm not even really sure what happened in the end, other than another huge explosion with more insane Miller narration. I'm not going to say this wasn't entertaining. The design of the book was incredible, and Grandpa was tipping his hat to Miller's art style to great effect. But the story was just pure chaotic nonsense, and it seemed to forget its underlying political message with the quickness. That or Miller chose to cram the message into the middle of this long apocalyptic boss battle to flesh out the page content. I can't give the golden child a leave it because it was far from a failure, but I'm only giving it a skim it. Because I don't know what the fuck happened. (laughs) (laughs) My rating is skim it. All right. I don't think that they lost the political message because I don't know that there actually was one. That that's my point. Other than like sort of put one in. Other than like uh, (laughs) other than the one other than the throwaway line from Carrie Kelly where she's like that guy's an asshole. The Joker. Well, but and but there was the whole like they control the airwaves and they're just like spreading chaos and lies and there's this other group that's like we want the truth but we're just as violent as the group that wants the lies and it's like everyone is guilty but yeah one side is going to defeat the other side yeah that's what i'm saying like i don't think it actually said anything (laughs) it was yeah it was like very nihilistic really Uh, i mean there was nobody to really root for and, and i'm and i kept i spent the whole book thinking why are they calling the Joker people protesters? They're not right. protesters. They're criminals. Yeah, they're terrorists. They're violent I mean, criminal terrorists. But then the good protesters were also just as violent. Yeah, yeah. The people so, dressed up like Batman. Yeah. It was completely nihilistic. Uh, you know? So, I mean, the story is bonkers. I, I won't deny it. I won't defend it. I, and I'll admit that I, all, I have a, a, a huge struggle with the cadence. Of Frank Miller's dialogue. It's bizarre. Uh, it's just weird. But this book was such an insane spectacle yeah. that like I couldn't look away. Right. I was it was like a really good it. professional wrestling match, is what it was. Like the moves were there, there was barely any story. A lot of ass got kicked, <laughs> you know, and like so, mountains blew away and shit. And I, so I think what I came down on it is. Um, if this book had been drawn by Andy Kubert, the artist of the last volume, I would have given it a leave. It. I would have probably stopped reading it halfway through. Yeah. And this is no yeah, offense they, to Andy Kubert because I'm a fan. No, but like to, to decode what Miller was trying to do in this script, you truly have to be a master. Because literally Gotham, I think got completely leveled three times. I obviously <laughs> not. Because that, yeah, it ends then, on a cliffhanger with Carrie Kelly the, leading a mob against Darkseid. Right. And the next panel, it's like, oh, no, Gotham's fine. Yeah, yeah. Where they, like, show waves of fire sure. pushing it, over buildings. You're not you wrong. You know, and, like, yeah. And then they were like, oh, no, there's the kids playing in the street. You are not <laughs> wrong. I, 
what the fuck? <laughs> I think I think the only way to make this book make any sense is to have a force of nature equal to the reputation of Frank Miller doing the art. And that's yes. Raphael Grandpa. And that's what they got. And uh, like this book was mesmerizing to me. It really was. Uh, I, the, I, I must, I must give it a so skim good. it. Like there's no way I can just give it a blanket recommendation. I can't. No. But no, I finished like, this. Open it up. Look at it. You don't even need to read the words because they don't make any sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? But yeah, like I finished this book and I like I was sweating. <laughs> like I had to dab the sweat off my forehead, take a totally. big drink of water. Uh, my boss walked over while I was reading this today at work and he looked at one of the pages I'm looking at and he goes, what the hell are you reading? <laughs> well, first he said, what the hell are you doing reading comic books on the clock? No, he's totally cool with that. Oh, okay. And I looked at him and I said, I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this book is, um, it's an experience. And I think that's about the best way to put it. I said, I, 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 want the knife. So that is a double buy it for Superman 18 and a double skim it for Dark Knight Returns, colon, The Golden Child. We'll post our written reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com so fans of the beloved 1986 Andy Murphy film, The Golden Child, will be even more confused by what they've read. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics too, so call this weekend on THN Cover to Cover at its new regular time, 11 a.m. to noon central. It's not even new anymore. It's just regular. It's just regular. 11 a.m. It's just plain old regular. 11 a.m. to noon-ish because we go long most of the time. Sure. Central yeah. Standard Time. Before we get into this week's reviews, let's hand it over to the official THN bartender and our sponsor for the Cocktail of the Week, Mr. Justin Robert Fletcher, head bartender at O'Courant in Benson, what a Omaha. Guy. And if you would like to try the Cocktail of the Week, I encourage you to stop by O'Courant. The food is Freaking excellent, and the drinks match it perfectly. Justin, tell us about what we're drinking. Okay, so this is kind of based after like a Corpse Survivor, um, but more aperitivo, I guess, more of a before of a before a meal kind of drink. We're so it's going to be the Golden Child. This is the Golden Child. Okay. Yeah, it's not what I call it here, but for <laughs> for, for this purpose, it's going to be called the Golden Child because it's a yellow in color. So. Uh, a Corp Survivor is typically like a three-quarter ounce of four different ingredients, okay? So this is the exact same thing, but kind of twisted on its head. So you do have three-quarter ounce Pisco. You got three-quarter ounce Suze, which is a kind of a real vegetal aperitivo. You're going to have a half ounce of uh, Amaretto, a quarter ounce of Rose Liqueur, uh, and a quarter ounce of Sambuca. Throw all that shit into a mixer throw ice into it, stir the shit out of it for, I don't know, 30, 60 seconds, a good 60 second stir. Then at the very end, you're going to pour it into any glass. Just don't pour ice into it. Keep it up. Um, it doesn't matter the glass. Uh, take a nice peel off of a lemon. And then with the rind facing toward the glass, you're going to pinch it. And you're going to express all that oil onto the top of that drink and onto the brim of that glass. Then you're going to take the rind edge 
and rub it around the edge of this glass, maybe even on the handle if it's a coupe. All you're really looking for is the smell of it. It's just the smell in your nose. Um, but the cool thing about this drink, it's gonna be really, really vegetal. Um, it's gonna kind of be three parts. It's gonna be kind of sous and vegetation, and then you're gonna get this kind of cherry amaretto kick in the face, and then you'll finish out with like notes of Sambuca. The rose, you really can't tell. You're not gonna taste that, but it is there, and it, if you took it out, you would tell the difference. And if and they wanna come to Okaran order it, it's called? It's called the Space Oddity here after the Bowie track, and Fair if the enough. Bowie track plays Space Oddity and you hear it, you get the drink half off. Otherwise, you can just come in and call it the Golden Child, and I'll know what the fuck you want. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. Now, with drink in hand, join us as we review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 100 from IDW. Now, I am not a regular reader of the TMNT comic, and one might even make a case that it's unfair of me to review the final part of a months-long story arc without the benefit of any context whatsoever. Well, you are a huge jerk. Well, nuts to that, I say. <laughs> I read this, I barely understood it, and I loved it anyway. The writing team, led by TMNT co-creator Kevin Eastman and scripter Tom Waltz, who has scripted all 100 issues, deliver an epic conclusion with a ton of moving parts, and I never really felt lost. Dave Wachter and Michael Dialinus, along with an enormous artistic support team, do a great job keeping the storytelling clear despite the presence of like six dozen characters. The most impressive part may be that the main turtles themselves are somehow distinct from one another, and I'm not talking about no mask colors. No, they're so good at doing that over there. Seriously, this book is great. It really is. TMNT 100 was a total blast delivered by a group of passionate creators, and I think I might stick around to see what the future holds. For the heroes in a half shell, I'm giving it a buy it. Ooh. One of the best parts about it is that at the very end of the book, uh, there is a teaser ad for the reunion of Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird for the first time in like 30 years. Oh, I thought those dudes hated each other. They no did. Shit. They had a bad breakup, but then that Netflix show, The Toys That Made Us. Yeah. The third season dropped uh, earlier this month. There was a TM yeah, yeah. There was a TMNT episode, and it ends. It's amazing. It, it was awesome. It ends with their reunion, and now they're buddies again. I have not watched the whole thing. I fell asleep, and now I have to watch it. Anyway, I, I'm so Damn excited. <laughs> Aliens versus Predator. Thicker than blood. Number one from Dark Horse. Writing these Aliens vs. Predator titles has to be a challenge due to the formula. Everything is fine, and then either Aliens or Predators show up first and start versusing each other with humans caught in the middle. There is a formula that can't be avoided here, and it's easy for all these stories to blend into one. But writer Jeremy Barlow does a nice job giving this new series a slight spin that sets it apart. Douglas Wheatley's art is beautiful, oh, even when he's drawing so decapitations. His style reminds me of Gary Frank's realistic pencils and crosshatch shading. The one thing you have to nail in these stories is the look of both the aliens and the predator, and Wheatley has that shit down to a science. This was a great-looking comic with a nice twist on the AVP genre, and it gets a strong buy it. Harley Quinn's Villain of the Year one-shot from DC. DC spoofs the excesses of Hollywood award shows with this one-shot featuring results voted on by actual fans with categories like 
the Has Been Award, aka Lifetime Achievement, and Most Obsessed. Writer Mark Russell rings a fair amount of comedy out of what could have been a dumb gimmick. The great Mike Norton is on hand to provide some comical visuals as well. Harley's Villain of the Year certainly is an essential reading for those following DC's year-long arc. But I have to admit, I had a fun time reading it. I'm giving it a very strong skin up. Where did you vote on this? Where was the voting? Uh, they set up a website. It was like harleysvillainofthyear.com or whatever. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know. All right. Annihilation Scourge, Beta Ray Bill, one-shot from Marvel. The latest Annihilation one-shots have been great, and Michael Morrissey is riding the hell out of this Bill one-shot. BRB is teamed up with Lockjaw and fighting the Sentry from the Cancerverse, but he might not be the evil Cancerverse Avenger we think he is. Pardon me, Revenger. It's not a secret that I'm a huge fan of Bill, but I don't love the Sentry, and this latest version of the character muddies the waters even more when it comes to his clashing Sentry Void personas. This was another solid issue with some great character moments for Bill and Lockjaw, kick-ass art by Alberto Alberquirque, and all in all, I'm still having a lot of fun with these one-shots, but it's time for the Sentry to crawl into a black hole and go away. I'm giving it a bye. Okay. Marvel's Avengers, Iron Man, number one from the Marvel Gamerverse. <laughs> Marvel Screw expands. Screw you, Marvel Gamerverse. Yeah, boy. Marvel expands their Gamerverse with this tie-in to their upcoming Avengers co-op game. Jim Zub delivers a decent story with an Armor Wars vibe, I guess. Uh, it's unfortunately completely tanked by the artistic efforts of Paco Diaz. Really? Isn't Diaz usually pretty good? I think I thought the same thing, and then I realized that I'm probably confusing him with a different artist. I feel like, like we're being Paco Medina. Right now. We are being Paco very Medina right or now. some other Paco. <laughs> um, distorted anatomy, grotesque facial expressions, bland oh, layouts, and awkwardly posed characters litter the pages of this one shot. Diaz isn't done any favors by the game's character designs. That look like B-movie knockoffs of the MCU. They look I'm like... I'm calling... This book is going to be bad. I'm calling my... Pardon me. This game is going to be bad. I'm, I'm calling my shot. I'm not <laughs> optimistic. Uh, they look like the Transmorphers or Snakes on a Train <laughs> versions of the Avengers. <laughs> Marvel's Avengers Iron Man is a total bust. <laughs> Uh, here's hoping the next one shot with Thor is better. I'm giving this a leave it. I oh, I'm sure the Thor one's gonna be great. Terrible. <laughs> well, they all have ter they all have different creative teams, so who knows? Right. Dying is easy. Number one from IDW. Joe Hill isn't just running the Hill House imprint at DC. Pardon me, it's not an imprint. I don't know what the fuck it is. He's putting out new comics at IDW too. Dying is easy. It's the story of Sid Shit Talk Holmes, an ex-cop with a bad attitude, a dark past, and a failing stand-up comedy career. Hill seems to be going for an Ed Brubaker-style criminal feel, complete with Martin Simmons' art that sort of mimics Sean Phillips a bit. But unlike Criminal, I never found myself caring about these completely deplorable characters. I get the idea of noir feel-bad comic stories, but there was nothing to grab onto here in what was essentially a bunch of talking heads that all looked very similar, trading personal jabs and unfunny jokes. The hardest part of writing a comedian is making them funny, and none of the comedians in this comic are funny. 
Instead, they're all miserable sons of bitches with dialogue that comes off as a Gilmore Girls written by Stadler and Waldorf with more racism and cuss words. I'm giving this a leave it. Yikes. It was not good. And people are like giving it rave reviews. I don't get it. I haven't read it yet. Criminal Macabre, The Big Bleed Out, number one from Dark Horse. Pardon me, criminal macabre. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Steve Niles' hard-boiled monster hunting detective Cal McDonald is back, and this time he's in love with a vampire. Uh-oh. When Cal goes missing on a two-week-long bender, it's up to his undead partner, Moloch, to bring him back to reality. Niles' story jumps from Cal in the gutter to a flashback about his ill-fated romance, but doesn't circle back around to connect the two in this issue, at least not yet. But... I still enjoy the supernatural noir style of the writing and the loose art by Gula Nemeth is really Ooh. appealing. She sounds like she could be a Cthulian demon. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Gula. <laughs> uh, I think I've read the first issue of every Cal McDonald mystery to date and never finished one. I really like Cal McDonald, and Cal McDonald is a very good example of a deplorable character that the writer is talented enough to make you care about. Sure, yeah. Uh, uh, the Big Bleed Out uh, is off to a promising start. I'm giving it a buy it. The Red Mother, number one, from Boom. I feel like writer Jeremy Hahn has grown up right in front of our eyes, and he's currently doing some of his best work of his damn career. Last week, I made fun of Boom for preemptively calling The Red Mother a success in the solicit. They were right. This book was great. Han sets up a legitimately creepy story with a very believable characters dealing with a moment of violence and high strangeness that changes their lives for the super creepy. The main character is a very well-written woman who lost an eye and a fiancé in some type of supernatural event. It's a mystery. We're going to find out. Don't worry. Now her missing eye seems to be making her see visions of a terrifying phantom. Fantastic art by Danny Luker here who does some genuinely scary stuff with the color red. This was an excellent setup for what looks to be another great psychological horror thriller from Boom, and it's the best comic I read this week. I'm giving it a fight. Wow. Daza! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Daza is the sound of Laura leading Darkseid's Omega Beams back to him, as seen in the pages of The Dark Knight Returns, The Golden Child. By the way, doesn't kill him. Kills him, but doesn't kill him. Yeah, and right. I don't know why. Yeah, no. <laughs> this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Brian Domingos via Twitter. And if you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, post it to any of our social media accounts or send us an email to daza at gmail.com. Just kidding. It's 2 at nerd at gmail.com. Well, don't and do. hey, do you want to help stock the ziggurat bar? Click our donate now button and buy us a bottle of booze. Why don't you? We will even mention you in the cocktail of the week segment. It's time to visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where Matt and I retreat to meditate on our must-read picks for next week, surrounded by our collection of haunted curios that would otherwise be wreaking havoc had we not bought them off of eBay. We're like a lazier version of Ed and Lorraine Warren from The Conjuring. We just buy the shit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Listen, Matt, Quit playing with that bloody toothbrush and tell these kids about your must-read pick for next week. It's not even haunted. This is just my toothbrush. I'm having some gingivitis issues. My pick for next week is Star Wars Rise of Kylo Ren, number one of four from Marvel Comics. It's written by Charles Soule with art by Will Sliney, cover art by Clayton Crane, and it is cool. Here's your solicit. With Ben Solo's fall comes Kylo Ren's rise! 
Young Ben Solo is legendary Jedi Luke Skywalker's most promising pupil. As the son of the Rebel Alliance, heroes Leia Organa and Han Solo, as well as Luke's own nephew, Ben, has the potential to be a great force for light in the galaxy. Spoiler alert, he turns into a bad guy. But the Skywalker legacy casts a long shadow. The currents of the dark side run deep, and Darth Vader's blood runs in Ben's veins. Voices call from both his past and his future, telling him who he must be. He will shatter. He will be reforged. His destiny will be revealed. Snoke awaits. The Knights of Ren await. I don't even know what that means. Ben Solo's path to his true self begins here, and it is rated T for Teen. Yeah, the Knights of Ren. Those are the dudes that he ran with. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, I'm just fired up for Star Wars. It's coming real quick here. I And like, I, 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 Charles Soule writes kick-ass Star Wars comic books. Will Sliney is a badass Star Wars artist. I think it's going to be great. Okay. It's official, too. So they're saying, yeah, this is the story of how he went bad. Here you go. Yeah. Joe Patrick, what's your pick of the week? It had to happen. My pick for next week is Doomsday Clock number 12. From DC Comics. An event 18 years in the making. Written by Jeff Johns with art by Gary Frank. It's some pages for $5.99. They very helpfully left that information out. I think they've all been like 40. I think they've all been 40 pages. But But they haven't all been $5.99, though, so I don't know. Oh, I thought they had. Maybe I. Mm, I, I think they were because they were like prestige. Mm. Here's your solicit. This is it. The final showdown between Dr. Manhattan and Superman shakes up the DC universe to its very core. Oh, damn. But can even the Man of Steel walk out from the shadow of Manhattan? And hey, what's up with Alfred, you guys? <laughs> That's a great question. The good news is. You're going to get a TLDR version of the of this storyline next week, so look forward to that. Yeah, I might not even actually review it. We'll probably just talk about it on the Sego. Um, I think you can review the issue. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see how it like ends a, up. We'll review it as a final issue, and then we'll do the big TLDR version. All right, all right. We'll see how it shakes out. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Five Years, Volume 1, Fire in the Sky, the trade paperback. From Abstract Studios, it is written and illustrated... By friend of the show, Terry Moore. It is 104 pages for $15.99. Look, just give Terry Moore your money. He's a great guy. Come on. He's doing it the hard way. He Come deserves on. your cash, okay? Come on. Here's your solicit. Five nations have secretly acquired the formula to build a bomb that will destroy the most common element in the universe. Hydrogen. Worried about what will happen when the news breaks, Kachu and Francine have moved their family to a remote location with Sam, Motor Girl, as their bodyguard, while Tambi employs the services of Rachel and Zoe, from Rachel Rising, to gather information in Russia. When things go horribly wrong, Kachu must make a difficult choice. Spend what time is left with her family or join the fight to stop humanity's extinction. Five years is the series from Eisner Award-winning Terry Moore that brings all the characters into the Terryverse together for an epic story and high-stakes adventure. All right, so I just got caught up on this book. He's it's tying it all together fucking big time. awesome. And, <laughs> like, you wouldn't think it would work. Okay, Rachel Rising, Supernatural, okay. Echo, high sci-fi, fine. Motor Girl, there's a talking monkey, I get it. Strangers in Paradise is a down-to-earth romantic drama with prime elements. Not anymore, it's not. Uh, But no, (laughs) it all takes place in the Terryverse, and it totally works. It's great. It's great. 
and I did not know how badly I missed some of these characters until I got back into this book. Yeah, it really is wonderful. You need to spend your money on this, but keep in mind, these are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your LCS next week. We want to hear about your must-read picks and the one element you would like to destroy. Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you would like to hear us review on the show. And do not forget to pre-order all your picks every week. If I had one shot, Californium. Fuck Californium, man. (laughs) That shit... It's always been a pain in my ass. You know what I mean? Hey, look, I mean, I know it might might sound kind of low stakes, but if you take the hydrogen out of everything, it's pretty bad. Hydrogen's kind of in everything. Why would you do it? (laughs) What is the point? It's been a little while, but we've once again managed to capture a comic creator in one of our cleverly built booby traps. And Matt has got him tied up and ready to talk. Matthew Rosenberg, welcome to our new interview segment, Gotcha Questions with THN. I gotcha! Hope you survive the experience. Okay. Matthew Rosenberg, welcome to the Ziggurat. Nice to have you. It's what we call uh, where we record. Thank you. Yeah. It's lovely here at the Ziggurat. <laughs> Am I supposed to pretend I'm with you guys? No, I mean, they're not going to buy it anyway. These kids are smarter than that, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. Got, got a whole generation right. of these jerks that grew up on the internet, and they know. They can tell. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is this is fun. So the word on the street is that you have a new Hawkeye project coming up, and I demand you tell us everything. Yes, that is true. And I was thrilled I to hear that you're bringing back the old Avengers purple costume. I think that is wonderful. Oh, Thank did you, hear you that? so much. Who, who, who told you that? <laughs> I think I may have thrown that out there. I was like, yeah, oh. Rosenberg's coming on the show. He promised me he's bringing it back. I love that guy. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> it's, a weird, uh, it's a weird thing to oh, tell the, yourself. The purple sure. Wolverine mask? Come on. It was great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Um, I don't know how much it makes sense in the current uh, no, state of Hawkeye. I get oh, it. But, uh, I'm just an old fart who loved the old Avengers. I understand. No, I, I love it too. I, I, when I was a little kid, like a, a venture spotlight, like the, oh, yeah. the solo, the solo book that was just a Hawkeye book. Like that's a favorite. For oh, me for sure. loved it. Loved it. So what are your plans? What can, what can you tell us? I realize there's a lot of stuff that we can't talk about, but what are your plans for Hawkeye? Well, first thing, the first thing for me, the most important thing I was like, we are not bringing back the old costume and Marvel is like, <laughs> you son of a <laughs> uh, they were super excited about that as a pitch. And then after that, I was like, I'm just going to wing it after that. As long as it's bad as a baseline. He's going to shoot some arrows. He's going to do a flip. It'll be great. You know, you guys will look. Yeah. It's basically after this, it's basically a mad lip. I just told him to draw some art and I'll write some words of it. Right. Uh, no, it's uh, it's me. It's Otto Schmidt, who, if people don't know Otto Schmidt, uh, you guys are in for a treat. He is uh, a genius of art of the highest level. I recognize the name. Uh, what else has he worked on? He, he did uh, Green Arrow. Okay. Uh, a book yes. called Green Arrow. Uh, a little book called Green Arrow, yeah. Maybe you know that character. He's uh, the Green Hawkeye. Sure. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, now, uh, now, all of your DC fans are currently writing me threats. Oh, that's it. Yeah, they are. They already um, shut this off. So. <laughs> the uh, I, I literally every solicit for Hawkeye, I throw in a joke about Green Arrow, and Marvel just takes it out. <laughs> um, which is fine. I get it. You yeah, know, that's well, those guys are in Burbank. Uh, what are they going to drive all the way there and beat you up? Come on. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like we're in, we're in New York, guys. They yeah. can't touch us here. Um, no. So Hawkeye. Uh, Hawkeye Freefall, it's out January 1st. It's really, really beautiful. But basically, it's it's Clint 
um, back up to his old sort of stupid shenanigans. Um, he has a run in with the hood who is a villain. I love very, very much. Yeah. Then is his hood. But, yeah. And he's he, the hood is like a perfect foil for Hawkeye in a lot of ways because they have very similar, they're sort of similar characters. Like they're kids who like came up there. They're not, they're not like mustache twirling villains when they started like Hawkeye and the hood were both like guys who just sort of got in over their head and, right. and got, got an ability and Hawkeye is naturally a good archer in the hood found this cloak and the hood had a family and was trying to take care of them. Um, but he's kind of snarky and kind of like doesn't take stuff seriously. And, but now he has this demon on his back who's like giving him superpowers. Um, but so basically Hawkeye has a run with the hood and it goes bad and, and Hawkeye um, becomes obsessed with it with, with sort of stopping the hood um, and sort of everyone around him is kind of like, this is a very dangerous guy. Like this isn't, a normal guy you go toe to toe with. This isn't right. like a street level thug per se. This is like a really scary person. So you're and taking like, him out of his element, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's just Hawkeye going in over his head, and like he's just messing with the hood. Like he's like sort of loving messing with him. Uh, my original pitch actually uh, was uh, I wanted to call the book Hawkeye. It's not funny anymore <laughs> uh, because uh, besides being a good uh, Husker Du reference, right. it's. Um, uh, a, a like it's about how Clint takes jokes too far, and like, um, you know, he starts off and he's just messing with a guy because he's like, This is a bad guy and I can mess with him. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, Oh, people are gonna get hurt, people are gonna die if you don't stop. And right, and so that's sort of the drive of it is like Clint's obsession and, and sort of being on a self destructive path of dealing with the hood. But meanwhile, there's a B plot or maybe an A plot, you have to read the book to find out. Hey-o. That there's a, that's a good pitch, right? Marketing. Be, Look at this guy. <laughs> this might be the A plot. Um, that's what kids love to hear. Uh, but it's uh, there's a new Ronin who is running across town, uh, terrorizing people. Ooh. And for those who don't know, uh, Ronin is when Hawkeye died in the early 2000s. He came back secretly as Ronin, and right. there's a secret of who is Ronin. Um, and other people since have been Ronin, but it's Hawkeye's character that he created. And now there's a new one who is, um, you know, beating up government agents and stealing things and, and really kind of terrifying. And everyone is like, not sure who it is, but all eyes sort of turn to Clint and he, it's making his life more difficult because while he's messing with the hood, people will keep being like, are you Ronan? And he's like, I'm not Ronan. Like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> so is this um, Ronan bad? Is it an evil character? Uh, he's not good. Okay. He's, right. he's, uh, uh, I don't want to give too much away about the first sure. issue, but sure. he, he makes, he makes a pretty violent entrance on, uh, some government officials. And, uh, from there, uh, he's fighting some Avengers. Yeah. He's not, uh, there's some problems with him. But I assume he has a motive. So when we'll find out. Uh, no, that's the twist is that I, wrote, he, I has wrote no motive. he has no yeah. motive. He's just a wild man. <laughs> yeah. Like this is just a crazy person. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's like when you get on the subway and there's just a guy like, you know, throwing food at people. Sure, like, sure. Yeah, and you give him a dollar and he stops. It's great, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what so about yeah. the far future? What's coming up after Hawkeye? Anything else in the works or? Yes, yes. I'm, uh, in February, I'm launching a, a three-issue Forceworks miniseries. Oh, sh- are you serious? Forceworks? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Was they, this another thing when you were like, I want to do Forceworks? And they were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, it, in reality, it's it's because uh, Dan Slott is doing Iron Man 2020 as the big event to okay. start next year. And it's it's awesome. And Dan went through it in the room with all the writers there. And like, 
I just think it's a really cool thing. Like I love Dan's writing. I love his work. And I think like Dan understands like uh, as good as any writer in comics, Dan like understands the fundamentals of a character and yeah. how to access those. And so like, this is like the big Iron Man thing he's been building towards. And it's very cool. And they went through it and I was just like, this is really cool. And we all like sort of nod our heads. And then they were like, yeah, there's going to be a few tie-ins. And they're like, there's going to be a force works book. And I just immediately was like, what? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. And I was like, who's doing that? And, and they were like, no one yet. And there was just a sort of weird, awkward pause. And then someone was like, do you want to do it? And I was like, yes. And pretty much everyone was real confused, but I love the original force works. It's a super fun book. And uh, I'm a big U.S. Agent fan. I think U.S. Agent is one of the true uh, fascinating characters. I love in the U.S. Universe. Agent. Now, he's currently, like, disabled, though. Like, he lost a leg. He lost an arm. Got him back. Oh, he got him back. He's, he's feeling got much better. Back. He's feeling better. <laughs> he, rough, he had a bad week, but he's, he's sure. okay now. Sure. He took some Advil. Um, yeah, you know, little R&R, superhero stuff. Little, and that stuff will grow yeah. back. <laughs> no, he's, he's, in, he's in fighting form. Um, and so, yeah, I just I just said, like, uh, they called me and were like, yeah, were you serious about Forceworks? And I was like, 100% serious. Like, it's a fun event. I would love to tie into it. Um, I love Forceworks. And I said, you know, I just, like, two two rules. Like, I want US Agent and I want War Machine. Oh, man. And they were like... Yeah, you, you have okay. to. You have to. Yeah. And the good news is yeah. they weren't using them anywhere else. So they were like, ooh, geez, Matthew, you're, you're really asking yeah. a lot here. <laughs> yeah. They're like, they're like, do you also need Solo? And I was like, I do. Let's throw him in the book. Um, so, uh, no, the, my team is, is us agent, um, war machine, mockingbird and quake. So it's, it's a bunch of characters I really love. Okay. A three issue sort of, uh, a fun, weird thing that actually, I think something very cool is going to come out of it, but I can't talk about that yet. Fair enough. So do you, um, what do you do in a situation like this when they say, okay, you've got force works, you go dig out your force works run and just reread yeah, yeah. the whole thing and just go yeah, like, man, the 90s issues, were weird. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not that much of a reread. No. Um, yeah, actually, uh, you know, it's, it's so it's only 22 issues. So I reread all of that and then was like, a lot of this doesn't apply. It's a lot of like, yeah. not, not where I want to go and what I've been doing. Um, so I was digging out a lot of my, uh, the old Iron Man, the Iron Man stuff with War Machine, like the the mid '80s stuff, where where Rhodey's Iron Man, and reading a lot of the Mark Grunewald Captain America, where oh love it, uh, love US it. Agent becomes Cap and Cap becomes the Captain. Yeah, um, and those books, like I read them when I was a little kid, um, revisited them like uh, a while ago, and reading them again, I'm just like they still totally just, hold up. They're so good. they're so good. Yeah, it's staggering how good they are. Um, yeah, I, I, and I love that. I love, I love finding something that you loved when you were a kid and just being like, yep, no, this is still awesome. But yeah, like, totally. I understand more of it in a different way. I mean, there's just like, uh, the dude warmonger shows up yeah. and he gets on top of the Washington <laughs> monument Yes, and he just, his politics are, he's pro war pretty much. And he just, yeah, he just wants more. He wants war. war. Yeah, with anybody, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just as long as it's war. He, yeah, he says something like that. He's like, I don't care where, but like declare war or I'm going to set up a nuclear weapon in Washington, D.C. And he hangs a banner that says, just make more war. And I was like, <laughs> just make more war is the coolest catchphrase I've ever yeah, heard. Yeah, that is some punk rock shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
but it's full of like just those characters like flag smasher and oh. the right winger and the left winger and <laughs> it's it's so fun um, grunwald dragging his politics into comics as usual yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what was your prep yeah. for hawkeye like what were you reading to prep for that you know um i i reread basically since i read a bunch of the soul avenger stuff i reread a lot of the bendis avenger stuff and then all the hawkeye books which is you know matt and david aja's book oh, and wonderful years run and yeah um even though it's a kate book i i kelly thompson's run which is so good um but yeah I, hawkeye's a hard one hawkeye's like <laughs> hawkeye's a, a really fascinating book to do now because like Matt Fraction and David Aja came in and did such a good job of making it something completely different. Yeah. That you sort of have to do that, but you can't do what they did because like nobody wants a cover band of like right. their you know, their brilliant run. So like you're basically taking a lot of things that work really well and throwing them out <laughs> because you don't <laughs> want to be doing an impression. Right. It's like a very weird position to be in because normally with a book like that you're following like it's not so unique like that book is so unique and so good and you have to be like yeah i could do this like i could do a second rate ripoff of this but like What's everyone would be bought. right you're just doing the same thing so you're gonna run and murder pizza dog on like Page one, right? Page one. <laughs> and just like pizza and dog explodes and Ronan walks yeah. out of the gore. <laughs> you know? Well, he, yeah, he wears him as a, as a, I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, but you know, it's, it's hard to figure out exactly what to do. And I was like, well, I want to keep sort of an indie sensibility to it, but also like, I'm going to drag it like, uh, that, 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 uh, Matt Fraction, David, uh, run is like, um, very much about his time as not an Avenger. It's about his downtime. And I was like, I want to drag this a little more into super heroics. Obviously, he's doing action stuff and fighting, and there's super heroics in it. Sure. But it's sort of like he's forced into super heroics. And I was like, I want to show more of his day-to-day super heroics. And like, and I was like, and that means guest stars. So like we have a ton of guest stars, like Daredevil's gonna be in the book and Spider-Man. Nice. And, um yeah, like uh, Luke Cage shows up and just all these people, like it, it's more firmly in like I feel like in, in Matt and David's run, like it's in its own universe and Marvel characters happen to wander in. And Absolutely. I was like, no, I, like we're dragging it back to the Marvel universe a little bit, but still trying to keep an indie sensibility. And I think Otto is really great for that. Like Otto is a stylized, awesome artist, but I feel like even like the fans who like love the seventies, eighties Marvel stuff will see his art and just like, it's so appealing and recognizable and, um, he sort of offers something for everyone. So, uh, you know, hopefully we're trying to find a middle ground between what those guys did and, and you know, a, a tr- traditional book. We want to be the weirdest Marvel book on the shelf, but still feel firmly like a Marvel book, if that makes sense. No, fair enough. I totally get it. And I hear what you're saying. Like, I, I've loved all those runs of Hawkeye that you've named off, but I will say it does feel like for a while now, they've sort of separated Hawkeye from the Marvel U on purpose. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah. there's no reason why we can't bring him back in. You know, they did the same thing with the Punisher for a very long time, too. Oh, that was my big push on the Punisher. I yeah. 27 of the Punisher and my my day one was I need him in the Marvel Universe. And I that's, loved a, that's Thank you. My my reasoning on the Punisher is a little different, though. I, I feel like the Punisher becomes a very dangerous book to publish um, if you're not surrounding him by characters where there's an obvious moral compass. Because right. like. Frank Castle killing 
you know, rapists or whatever, it's people are like, well, he's a good guy then if he's killing rapists. Right. Um, and you've got to be like, well, no, he's also a bad guy. Like rapists are bad and he's bad. So you need a, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I just sort of told them. From so if we take God, nothing like, away from this interview, it's rapists are bad and the Punisher rapists. is bad. There yeah, we go. I mean, you can put that. <laughs> If they ever do an omnibus in my run, that's what I want. There you go. That's a great. Uh, Definitely no rapists in my book, but um, (laughs) the uh, yeah. So I, you know, when I did the Punisher, I was like, I need him firm. Like I need someone, a good guy, to show up every two or three issues to kind of try and stop him. Yeah. Um, Whereas Hawkeye, I don't have the same problem, but I do want it to feel like. You know, we could have made it weirder and crazier and been like, it's Hawkeye, it's weird and crazy. But I was like, no, I want it to feel like a Marvel book. I want it to feel firmly like this is this is what the Avengers are doing when they're not being called up. I mean, he's not an active Avenger, but like, you know, I want it to feel like if you're reading Captain America and you're reading Hawkeye, it's like, well, if Cap was here on Monday, he could be in Hawkeye on Tuesday. That Absolutely. Fair enough. Uh-oh. Hey, I don't want to take up any more of your time. This has been amazing. Where can people follow you to see what you're working on, what's coming next? I mean, if you want to follow me, I usually leave my house at like seven o'clock to go get okay. Indian your food. house seven a.m. Got it. <laughs> uh, the no, uh, I'm online. Uh, I have a Twitter account where I tweet too much, really dumb stuff. It's Ashcan Press, A S H C A N P R E S S. I have the same Facebook page that I tend not to update. I have that as a Tumblr that I definitely don't update. Well, there's no porn a, on Tumblr anymore, so what is the point? You know, what I mean, come yeah, on. that that one, <laughs> that one, I definitely. I have an Instagram I almost never update. Um, but yeah, basically Twitter. I'm a writer. Find okay. me on Twitter. Fair enough. You're an easy follow. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate your. Thank you. Now, this is just a segment of what Matt and Matt talked about, but you can check out the full interview over at the THN YouTube channel. And of course, we'll have a link to our channel in the show notes this week. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 554 and 555 is going to be so full of fake Star Wars spoilers. It's probably better if you just come back for 556. Joe, while I thumb through this Rise of Skywalker script we bought online, why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? I will do that. This week's question was submitted by Einstein by Night via the THN forums. Three things that make a great superhero or villain are an awesome name, a great costume, and interesting powers. Which of these is most important to you? Can you name a character with a great name, but with a shitty costume and uninspired powers? Is there a character with powers you love, but a name you hate? So it's almost like a two out of three ain't bad question. <laughs> kind of. I think that's how I phrased it even. <laughs> okay. I like it. And we decided just for your keeping score, Einstein by night was bitten by Albert Einstein when the moon was full. And now he becomes Albert Einstein every full moon. Yeah. Yes. And, okay. uh, uh, right. Got it. Correct. Yeah. I was going to okay. make a joke. I was going to make a joke about a uh, werewolf by Nate's name being Jack Russell, but I couldn't think of anything. No, that doesn't work at all. You know, if you're new to the show and like you'd rather the dog, strang- get it? Yes, thank you, Joe Patrick. Thank you. If you're new to this show and you'd rather strangle Baby Yoda than listen to another second, I assure you, it is only because you have not heard enough. The good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive over at twoheadednerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors. Like Michael Lee? Is he a new guy? Who is this Michael Lee? No, I always put new if it's a new guy. 
Oh. Michael Lee's so Mike- been with us for quite some time. He's a very faithful donor. Mike, call in. Talk to us. Come on, man. We want to hear what you sound like so we can make fun of your voice. Come on. That's not necessary, Michael. Sure. <laughs> that's you. You engage with the show on your own terms. We appreciate you. Before we go, it's been another tough week in the ziggurat. Our weekly shout out goes to Carol Spinney and Renee Aubergenois, both of whom passed away earlier this week. Carol Spinney was the personality behind Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch on Sesame Street and helped shape the lives of millions of children over the decades. Uh, that one got me. Yeah, that me too, man. That one got me, man. And it was Oof. like the same day, too. These both happened on the same I day. I know. I know. We lost Big Bird and we lost Odo. And it was the <laughs> first night of Crisis on Infinite Earths. My emotions were haywire. Uh, <laughs> Rene Albergenois may be best known to civilians for his roles on Benson and as the French chef on The Little Mermaid. But sci-fi fans will remember him as Constable Odo on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Where do you both, sirs? Thank you for everything. That was I immediately started watching Deep Space Nine. Again. Yeah, man. That's a and brutal bummer. I've been going to bed every night and watching another episode. Oh, love it so much. Best until, Star Trek show. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just drop them into a bucket of shapeshifter. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. <laughs>